2 Thessalonians 11. And, I, and if you've got your Bibles, you can open them. That's always good. I always look out and see people on their phones or their iPads. And I think, you know what? They're just reading the scripture along. They're not really texting or Snapchatting people. They're not on TikTok or anything like that. They are reading the Word of God. I choose to believe that, so you can follow along. We've got the scriptures coming up, so you can follow there as well. We began to speak about the role of faith and what that means for us to have faith to enter into the covenant agreements. And Paul talked a lot about Abraham and his faith and that counted for righteousness, and that led to faithful living. And I think there's a scripture that says in Habakkuk, the just shall live by faithfulness. Or how do just people live? They live faithfully and true. Um, So 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 11 says this, This is why we pray for you, asking God to help you live the kind of life that he's called you to do. We pray for you. We pray for you guys. Did you know that? We pray for you because we want you to live a life that God's called you to live. We pray that with God's power, with his power, God will help you to do good things. The good things that you want to do and perform the works that come from your faith. Or your faith is being appropriated within you. It's your faith, even though it's a gift. I spoke about that last week. But faith turns into faithfulness. And the knowledge of God, that kind of knowledge is a covenant word. When you know God, you know him. And that is part of your covenant agreement. I'm going to talk about that this morning. And knowing God leads to faith. And faith places us in a righteous state with God as part of his new covenant. And a covenant is agreement between two parties when those two parties fulfill those obligations of that covenant agreement. And covenant of equal partners we see in a marriage covenant. We see that as equal partners. But there is a covenant we enter with God where God is our faithful protector And he is obviously greater than us, but in our faithfulness, we are loyal to him. And if you look through scripture, there's so much examples of of covenant language. And it's good to understand covenant language when you're reading the Bible. Because it's speaking to a covenant-keeping people. And when you read it, the Old Testament and the New Testament, you read about different covenant languages and different covenant agreements that God makes with his people. And he reveals more about himself progressing through these covenants. So you've got Abraham. So you've got Adam as the first covenant. You've got Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. And now in Christ, we are part of the new agreement, the new covenant. And there's a big difference between the covenant that Abraham entered in with God through faith and the covenant that Moses brought into the people that came through law. And for Abraham, faith was his entrance. This is why Paul in Romans uses Abraham a lot because it begins with faith. It begins by us trusting the promises of God. You see, promise is even a covenant word. It's a covenant word. It's an agreement. It's I enter into that 
promise that God has for me by believing those promises are for me today. I love it when Jesus, actually his first sermon, he opens the scripture in Isaiah and he says and he reads about God's agreement for us today and what he came to do to open the eyes of the blind, to open the ears of the deaf, to proclaim liberty, to proclaim the year of Jubilee, the year of God's favor declaring. And then he sits down and says, today this is fulfilled. He takes what's in the scripture and he brings it into his life today. And they got really upset with him and they were like, that's his first sermon and he was almost chased out of town. I tell you, you know you've preached a good sermon when you're chased out of town. Isn't that the truth? And I've been there. I've done that a couple of times. Um, I should tell you about that sometime. But God uses Abraham as one of his covenant agreements. And Paul picks up on that in Romans 4. He says, Abraham believed God. It was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not considered a gift, but something that is owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him, who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited to him for righteousness. There's a difference, isn't there? When Jesus came, he says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And Paul uses Abraham as that understanding of what it means to be right with God, to be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, out of a covenant relationship with darkness, into a covenant relationship with the light. And looking at the life of Abraham, it began with faith, but it continued to faithfulness by visible acts of the way he lived, that faith working itself through love, that faith working itself into faithfulness. Psalm 85, let's turn there. If you look at verse 10 and 11, you see Psalm 85 is a very much a covenant agreement uh, psalm. And it says this, love and truth belong to God's people. Or in other words, it says uh, faithfulness and truth belong to God's people. So goodness and peace will be theirs. You see, there's a covenant exchange going on. He goes on to say, on earth, people are loyal to God, and then God's goodness shines down from heaven. You see the reciprocal agreement that's going on here. When love and truth belong to us, goodness and peace belong to us. You see, when we are loyal to God, God's goodness shines on us from heaven. And I want to talk this morning about what our part to play is in God's promises and the new covenant yes it replaces the old but it doesn't absolve us of responsibility i think we have a generation today that's all concerned about their rights without their responsibilities and i think that can spill over in the church when we talk about hey come to god it doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter how you live you come to god his grace will always overflow and his his faithfulness even if we're unfaithful and you can find scriptures for that and i believe that I do believe that. But there is a way to live by faith and by righteousness. There is a way to live that pleases God. And you read this through uh, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and we'll give some time to get there this morning. But Paul instructs the church that there is a right way to live. There is a right way to live that commands a blessing. And if you want to have a happy marriage... I know this is really simple, simple stuff here. If you want to have a happy marriage, be faithful. 
talk to people who have been unfaithful in their marriage and then ask them, how happy is your marriage? If you want to live a a Christian life full of God, full of the Holy Spirit, be faithful to God. What does that look like? Well, the scripture is full of ways that we can be faithful to God. See, our role is to walk in love. Our role is to walk with love for God, love for one another. And you break that down and see what that involves. If you took the Ten Commandments, you take uh, five of them, talk about how we relate to God and our love for him having no idols and having nothing else before him. And the others is how we relate to other people. And if you do love other people, you're not going to lie, cheat. You're not going to murder. You're not going to steal. You see how the genius of Jesus who brings the law of Moses, not that that is our make and break because Jesus Christ is our make and break, isn't he? He's the only one that can actually make us and actually help us and transform us and change us into the people that he's called us to be. Only God can do that. And we enter into that by faith. You understand that? But Jesus then takes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind and your soul. If you do that, you're going to react to God in a way that's faithful to him. True? If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, then you're going to fulfill all the commands that God calls you to live. Cool. I know I'm trying to be really simple here, but it doesn't get much more basic than that, does it? So being truthful, being faithful, walking in love, and how we take responsibility, first it begins with ourselves. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Take responsibility for yourself. Care for yourself as if you're someone that's worth caring for. And then begin to treat others how you would want them to treat you. Isn't that walking in love? Isn't that showing love to others? You know, God's promises for us of goodness and peace comes from our loyalty to him and his face shines upon him. I tell you, when you have the favor of God in your life, I tell you, that makes a big difference, doesn't it? Doesn't it? We used to go to school, every morning we used to go to school and we'd say, like Jesus, I'm growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And I used to say that every day. Every day we used to say that. Every day. And I believed it. And I still believe it. I want to grow in God. I want to change. I want him to develop me. I want him to push me forward. I know there's more for me that God has. And I can enter it in by Believing in him by faith. That's how I enter. But that faith then produces in me right living. And I'm not standing up here saying I'm perfect. You know, my wife sits on the front row. She can tell you uh, in many ways how I'm not perfect. But I'm aiming towards something. I'm living my life in a way that's purposeful and saying, you know what, God has a plan and purpose for me. And if I want to fulfill God's plan and purpose for me, then I need to live in a way that God's called me to live. This is why we pray for you, that you will live the good lives that God wants you to live. And the good things that you want to do, God will help you with his power. You see how we can take just a scripture like that and say, this is for me, this is for me today. You know, Abraham did the same. The word of God came to Abraham and he said, I will make you great and I'll, 
I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. You see how that covenant agreement works? God's blessing comes on us in order that we can be a blessing. And he says, I will make you a great nation. I'll make you the father of many nations. And he's like, God, but I've got no children. How are we going to do this? And he said, I will do this. That's what he believed in that accounted for him as righteousness. And let's look at Thessalonians. Thessalonians, right, is a church that Paul wrote to. He started, it's one of the first churches that ever started. It's one of the first ever letters ever written to any of the churches. He wrote it while he was on his journey in Acts. And Paul writes to this church in Thessalonica to encourage them to persevere even in the face of trials, to remind them that God will keep his promises, to remind them that God is going to stand by you. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 2, we'll start there. He says, I pray that you'll be protected from stubborn and evil people, because there are people who don't believe. But the Lord is faithful. He will give you the strength and protect you from the evil one. The Lord makes us sure that you are doing, already doing, and you will continue to do the things that we told you to do. May the Lord lead your hearts into God's love and Christ's patience. You know, Paul writes to his church to address these concerns they have. He writes to talk about the second coming of Jesus. He writes to warn them about false teachers that would say that the the second coming has already happened, that they'd missed the resurrection in somehow. And uh, it was his first letter, and he wanted to get it out there to establish what it means to be church. It's a good book to, to read if you want to know what church is. He writes them to challenge them, to deal with number of people who are not walking according to the Lord's commands. He wants to challenge them. He wants to direct them. And this is a church in crisis. This is, there are true believers, but they needed a solid word of encouragement. And that verse is what we want. We need that solid encouragement today. He says, the Lord is faithful. And this is what they needed to hear, that whatever you're going through, that God is a faithful God. That word faithful is a covenant-keeping God relationship that he has with us. And this is what we need to know today, that we have a faithful God who keeps his word. Since God is faithful, he can be counted on to stand by his word. And Paul reminds them this, he will establish you. He will strengthen you. He will keep you from the evil one. The idea of establishment is the idea of making stable, placing firm, setting fast. It means that strength from God will cause you uh, to become consistent in your life and to be confirmed in what you believe. And the word keep, it means to guard. It means it's the idea of protection. It's that God's promise that he will protect you from every enemy, whether inside the church and outside the church, because God is faithful, and he can be trusted to do what he said he will do. Second Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God are yes and amen unto the glory of God. And Romans 4 says he's, And being fully persuaded, this is Abraham, that what he had promised, he was able to do. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had, that fully persuaded. God said it, God will do it. God will stand by his word. I love it in Psalm 138, verse 2. He says, I'll worship you, Lord, in the holy temple. I will praise for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all. 
Your word is something that we can rely upon. You know, when you, went in, when you go into an agreement, maybe a business deal or a covenant, or you, you get into a, a sale agreement even, you're buying something from eBay, and you want to trust that person that they will do what they say they will do, and you hand over your money, don't you, to a complete stranger. But you trust that that will come through the post, that that will come back. And our whole system is based on this kind of agreements and trust. But when you have an almighty God and you can trust he will do what he says he will do, he says, you will pray and I will answer. I will hear from heaven and I will move on behalf of you. God is standing by his word. He's not a man that he should lie, Numbers 23 verse 19 says. He's not the son of man that he should repent. Has he, shall he not do it? Has he not spoken? Shall he not make it good? Amen? God, uh, let's turn to Hebrews, back to Abraham. Hebrews 6 verse 13, it says this, God made a promise to Abraham. And there was no one greater than God, and he used himself as he swore to Abraham, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Abraham waited patiently for this, hap- for this to happen, and he received what God has promised. People always use someone greater than themselves when they swear, or an oath to prove what they say is true. And this ends all arguing. And God wanted to prove that his promise was true and that those would get what he had promised. And he wanted them to understand clearly that his purposes never change, so he makes an earth, an oath. These two things cannot change. God cannot lie when he makes a promise. He cannot lie when he makes an oath. He cannot lie. And this is to encourage us that those who come to God for safety, they will... Uh, he will give us strength to hold on to the hope that he's been given, that we have been given. And we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, sure and strong. I tell you, when you put your faith in God, that is something you can take to the bank. Abraham entered into that covenant relationship with God, believing what he's promised, took him on his word and acted upon it in faithful and truth. That's Genesis 15, isn't it? Verse 6. He believed in the Lord and God accepted his faith and that faith made him right with him. So our part of the agreement, so it's a covenant of two parties. Our part of the agreement is to believe what God says about us, to hold firm in faithfulness and truth. And God in promises in return to reward those who seek him. Jesus established this when he came to talk about, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, read it, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But in Matthew 6, he talks about your heavenly Father. He knows what you need already. He knows. And he was establishing this covenant with God as a covenant-keeping heavenly Father. And I'll read a few of these to you. He says, be careful when you do good things. Don't do them in front of people. If you do that, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Your giving is done in secret, and your Father can see what's done in secret, and he will reward you. You know, God is a rewarding kind of God. When you pray, he says, go to your room, close the door, pray to your Father who cannot be seen, and your Father can see what is done in secret, and he will reward you. Just look in this. How many times does he say the Father will reward you? How many times does he say he is your heavenly Father? 
you know, that's the kind of thing that Jesus is trying to get over to his disciples in this message. He is your heavenly father. He stands by you. He rewards you. And when you pray, he says, don't be like those who don't know God. Continue saying things that mean nothing. Think, thinking that God will hear them because of their many words. Don't be like them because your heavenly father knows the things you need even before you ask. Jump down to verse 31. He says, why would you worry about eating, drinking, what you all wear? Those people who don't know God keep trying these things. You see, that knowledge of God, that's covenant, relationship word. That knowledge, that intimate knowledge, that's covenant uh, language right there. Those who don't know God keep trying to get these things, but your Father in heaven knows you, knows that you need them. Verse 33, so what do we need to do? Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Another translation was says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But it means seeking God, his kingdom, the establishment of his kingdom, and seeking what he wants. Then all the other things that you need will be met. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own worries. Each day has enough troubles of its own. You see, Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God with the idea the teachings of knowing God knowing God that's that covenant language and he even brings in the most unlikely of people bringing the notion that a covenant keeping God is a loving father whose job it is to reward those who seek him and those who do what he wants my question are we keeping the covenant Are we keeping our side of the covenant? Yes, we enter in by faith, but we continue in the covenant by our faithful living. Are we faithfully seeking God? Are we faithful in our giving? Are we faithful in our prayer? Are we faithful in the way we treat others? Are we faithful in in following what God wants us to do? God has given us so many precious promises and gifts and we need to live them and act upon them. Isn't that the truth? Are we faithful in coming to church? Are we faithful in doing good works? Are we living the kind of life that God wants us to live? You see, Jesus institutes the new covenant. We call it the Last Supper, don't we? When he's gathered with his disciples and he's breaking bread with them. That's a covenant thing. Breaking bread is a covenant thing. And he says... um, And Hebrews describes this covenant as the new agreement that Jesus brought from God to his people. It's much greater than the old one. The new covenant is based on promises of better things. If there had been nothing wrong with the first agreement, there would have been no need for a second agreement. This is the agreement I will make with my people at that time, says the Lord. I will put my teachings in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. That's covenant, guys. If he's your God, you're his people. You're in a covenant relationship, whether you know it or not. You're in that agreement where there is promises on both sides. And he says, I love this. He says, Hebrews, but he's quoting Jeremiah. Do we not have this one? Oh, it's up there. Ah, cool. He says, their sins and their evil things they do, I will remember no more. I love that. I tell you, that frees us, doesn't it? That frees us from guilt and shame and condemnation. It frees us to live the life that God's called us to do. We're not hampered by 
the mistakes of our past. We're not hampered by where we have missed the mark. No, we live in a new life, a new agreement, a new covenant. So he goes on to say, uh, uh, this is brilliant, let us come near to God with a sincere heart and sure faith because we have made free from a guilty conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold firm to the hope that we have confessed, because we can trust God to do what he promised. Let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. You should not stay away from church meetings as some have done, but you should meet together, encourage each other, do this even more as you see the day is coming. And if we decide to go on sinning after we had learned the truth, there is no longer a sacrifice for our sins. See, that sacrifice placed us as cleansed, as washed. But there is a way to live of faithfulness that comes from that agreement, that faithful living. I tell you, I want to live faithfully to God. In the way I pray, in the way I live, in the way I'm acting towards others. And I don't always get it right. But when he says continue sinning, I think what he's talking about is that willful, just you know what's wrong, but you're going to just do it anyway. He's not talking about making a mistake. He's not talking about falling short of God's glorious standard, which we all do. He's talking about a heart that wants to live right. This is why we pray. We're closing where we started this is why we pray for you i tell you don't underestimate the power of prayer this is why we pray for you he says asking god to help you to live the kind of life that he's called you to live you know there's a right way to live and you know people when they've violated their own conscience and how that really breaks them and i tell you if you keep violating your conscience then you call what is sin as you call it okay. And that's not what he's talking about. That's the keeping on sinning. That's violating, continually violating your conscience. And God doesn't want us to live that way. You don't want to live that way. You don't want to live in darkness and shame. You don't want to live with your head held down, you know, just... That's no way to live. And you know what? Most sins actually really hurt people. But they hurt yourself, don't they? And they hurt others. And if you start treating people in a way that is sinful, you just you destroy their lives, you destroy your own life. But there is a way to live that God's called us to live. And he has his power to help us. He says, I pray that with his power, God will help you. God's going to help you. He's a covenant-keeping God. He remains faithful. And there's times when we miss it, But God will help you. He wants to empower you. He wants you to live right. He wants you to do the good things. He wants you to live out of the overflow that his faith has given you. Let's just stand and pray. Shall we do that? God asks for your help and I pray. I pray for each and every one of us here, Lord, that we are part of your covenant relationship. We've entered by faith. We've entered by believing the promises. We've entered by acknowledging that you're God and we're your people. And Lord, you help us to live those faithful lives that you've called us to live. And if we go off track and we've missed the mark, ask for your Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us, to redirect our path onto the right way. 
onto the right way of living. I ask for your Holy Spirit right now to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if there's areas in our lives where we need to repent, you know, repent means to turn around. You know, where we've gone our own way and we've done our own thing and we don't want to repent. I want to turn around. I want to walk your way. I want to live your way. I want to live right with you. And if God is calling on your heart to repent, don't make it like a penance kind of thing. He's not looking to punish you, not looking to destroy you. He says, I'm a God who keeps his promises. And I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I will give you that fresh start. My mercy, my grace is here for you. Come, come. Come into that grace that I have for you. Come into that mercy that I have for you. Come into that loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Come to know God. Come to know me, says the Lord. Come to trust in my promises. And I promise, I promise, he says, that you can come into a righteous state of being and that your sins I will remember no more. And I will give you a new heart and a new mind that you'll want what I want. Right from the depth of your being, you'll want what's right. And into your mind I will write my laws so you'll know what I want. 